Welcome back to another episode of the Shift Drink Podcast. I'm Ed Rudisell, and this week we are coming back with another episode from Asia. This week, we are coming from Tokyo, Japan, and I've got Holly Graham with me, bartender extraordinaire, recent author, managing editor of Drink Magazine, and soon to be the owner of Tokyo Confidential, a brand new bar opening in Tokyo. Welcome to the show, Holly. Yeah, thanks for having me. Are you in your bar at the moment, the bar you're building out? I am. I'm sat in a storeroom right now on the floor with my laptop on boxes, as it should be. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, aren't we all? Aren't we all? So, uh, yeah, the first time we've had you on the show, and um, I wasn't able to connect with you while I was in Tokyo, but you've got a lot of things going on. Um, We've already talked about a bar that you're building out a little bit, but let's back up a little bit. So you are... um, kind of new to Tokyo at the moment, right? Because you just moved from Hong Kong, yes? Fresh off the tarmac, baby. Yeah, I moved here from Hong Kong. It will be three weeks on the coming Tuesday. So yeah, I'm two, about two and a half weeks in. Wow, that's really new. That's crazy. Uh, yeah. So I, I presume that the bar um, has been a long time coming, but how did you make a decision to leap from Hong Kong? Because um, you spent, what, about 15 years there in Hong Kong? No, so 10 years in Hong Kong. I've been in Asia about 15 years. So I was Thailand, Korea, then Hong Kong. But yeah, Hong Kong is Hong Kong is home for me. You know, I spent most of my adult life there. Um, you know, a third of my life, in fact. I think I did the math. Maybe, no, a quarter of my life, sorry. <laughs> um, quarter of my life in Hong Kong has been really fundamental to me. So how it wasn't a decision I took lightly. Yeah. Sorry? How, how did you end up in Hong Kong? Uh, God, so I guess I have to go way back to the beginning. So I started off um as an English teacher and that's what took me to Thailand um I just wanted to get out of the UK it was 2008 so you know global recession it was not a good time to be in the west um and couldn't get a job after university felt really disheartened so yeah I packed my bags and went off to Thailand um and obviously you know I couldn't really afford to just travel without working so yeah I was a teacher which then took me to Korea because the contracts were really good there it was a nice lifestyle as a teacher um and then one of my friends from Thailand had moved to Hong Kong and I went to visit her and I fell in love with it um yeah and actually Hong Kong was the first country outside of Japan at that time because I'd never visited Thailand never visited Korea but I had been to Hong Kong before I moved there and then see after to Korea after Korea I took a visit back there just to decide if it was the one and I always say to people like Hong Kong it sounds cheesy but it's so electric like it's got such an atmosphere it's just you know, the neons, the noise, the the hustle and bustle. It's just the energy is always so palpable there. And I just, I thrive off of that. That's fantastic. I have not been to Hong Kong. Um, yeah, Southeast Asia primarily. And then Japan, my recent trip was the first time I'd actually been to Japan. So, um, you know, I can't believe it's too, because my, my visa was delayed by a week. Otherwise I would have overlapped with you. Oh yeah. Well, you got delayed. Um, so yeah, that's a whole nother story, but (laughs) right. Oh man. Don't even talk about delays coming back. Uh, I don't even want to discuss I'm still traumatized from the trip back, but at least it was coming back, (sighs) coming back. We were, we were lucky enough to be able to spend a month there. So we almost overlapped with you, but we, we we went down a bit anyhow to uh, meet up with, um, good friend of the show, uh, Tetsuro Miyazaki from Ichiko. So, oh, uh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we weren't in Tokyo all that long, but um, so you've made the leap from Hong Kong to Tokyo at this point. Now, uh, uh, does that affect your duties whatsoever at uh, as managing editor at Drink Magazine? 
So, um, Where I'm does the bar do that the, job? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm really close to Theo Watt, my, uh, you know, the founder of Drink Magazine. He's been such a, you know, I, I credit him in my book. Like he's one of my mentors and, but his men- mentee, sorry, his mentorship, um, was more, you know, he taught me that, well, he was the first person to ever really like trust in me to let me get on with my own shit. He didn't want to micromanage me because I hate being micromanaged and, it with you know because of his trust i was allowed like it allowed me to grow in the industry and drink magazine helped grow you know me as well um and we kind of became symbiotic like we always joke that i am drink magazine and drink magazine is me um because we do we have a wechat platform um that's huge in china but i was managing everything outside of mainland china so it was just me really on that side and i just couldn't bear the thought of leaving and i know it's fucking wild to open a bar and still do that but he was really understanding and said, you know, just do what you can. He said, he was like, I'd rather keep you than try and find someone else and train them. And, you know, he was like, I love what you do. And, you know, you you love the magazine so much. that." So I essentially went part time, but he was like, I understand at the moment, you're just going to just bill me for what you can do, you know, which isn't much. And he, you know, he's totally understanding of that. Um, so, yeah, it, that's that's why I decided to stay. I just couldn't bear to leave, to be honest with you. <laughs> And that's where I first kind of ran across you was uh, Drink Magazine. And, uh, you know, after a, a few visits to Asia, it just it, it occurred to me just how little attention we pay to the Asian cocktail scene uh, in the West, yeah. which, much to the detriment of everybody in the West, because it's like super exciting. There's so many things going on, access to some of the ingredients. Um, I'm a tiki bar. Yeah. So of course I'm like, Oh my God, look at all this fresh fruit, you know? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, and like, I mean, my family's in Thailand, uh, my wife's from Bangkok. So, oh, nice. Yeah, so typically we're in Southeast Asia rather than mainland, but, uh, yeah, yeah. Drink magazine has really been putting a spotlight on Asia for a very long time. And I mean, that's where I stay plugged in and connected oh, thank what's you. going on. And so, I mean, how do you feel about um, kind of the role that that you have played in putting a spotlight on that section of the uh, of the industry? Um, well, like, it's obviously something, I think anyone who meets me or knows me, it's clear it's something I love to do. And, you know, in compliments to what you just said, I think that, you know, I moved here and got involved in a cocktail scene and I was like, this is awesome. Like... <laughs> You know, everyone, I'm from London originally, and I, I, I'm i not, I didn't get in touch with the scene when I was living there because I left, I left the UK at 22. So I wasn't really at 22 going to like, you know, the best cocktail bars. Right. Um, I was just drinking in Weatherspoons, you know. <laughs> um, but for, for those listening, Weatherspoons is a, uh, for, sorry, for those not familiar who are listening, Weatherspoons is a chain pub, of really, just a really cheap chain pub in the UK. It's uh, it's solid, but it's got a rep. Um <laughs> yeah so yeah so when I moved over here I was just like wow like why don't people talk about this why is it always London New York you know and bigger European cities I was just like why is all the attention here like I just feel like you know like you said much to the detriment of everyone else like y'all are missing out yeah. um it's like we're doing fine over here we've got our own you know 50 best and things like that we're such a Asia as a whole bar scene is just so tight. I love the camaraderie between everyone. Like, obviously, when it comes down to it, there's like, you know, there's little mini rivalries. But as a whole, like, Asia's 50 best ceremony is just a different ball game to World's 50. Like, 
you know, everyone's so connected. Everyone is friends. Everyone knows each other. Whereas sometimes you turn up to Worlds 50 and you're like, well, I don't know these people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and not, not just using 50 Best as an example, but, you know, like that's obviously the biggest industry event. But, yeah, and like you it's said, the ingredients, <laughs> the passion, there's such a lack of ego here. You know, there's obviously a lot of ego um, in bigger bigger cities in the West. Um, people are so humble and just, like, really excited to show you what they're doing here. And the flavors are just, they're just next level, you know, and that's, yeah, that's kind of why I wrote my book as well was my, you know, I wanted to spotlight it, spotlight it more. It's my love letter. And I think like you said, you you know, you're asking why I wanted to spotlight it. I keep saying spotlight. (laughs) It's late here, guys. Sorry. It's early here. Whatever. (laughs) Yeah. And I wanted to spotlight it. And also because, you know, people here were like, they, they were like, we love the work you do, Holly. Like no one's really done this before. And it's, you know, bartenders sometimes can't be bothered. Not that they can't be bothered here in a bad way, but they're just kind of getting on with their shit, you know. So they're just like, thank you for doing what you do because we sort of didn't do it and we're happy for you to be in the megaphone for us, you know. Yeah. I mean, I think it is important because, you know, every bartender I know in Asia is staying super plugged into what's going on worldwide, but not always the other way around. Yeah, that's what I mean. That's what I mean. They're so passionate and there's no ego. They really idolize um you know some bartenders that maybe aren't the best uh but they've got a reputation in the west or you know they're just a famous bartender and like i think people should be idolizing our bartenders you know it always it baffles me when like my biggest bartending mentor is agung prabawal um who used to own the old man and now he has penicillin mm-hmm. uh just opened his new bar lockdown um but you know he's he's like he's one of the the OGs of the Asia bar scene. And, you know, I'm always like, what? When people don't know who he is, you know, I'm just blown away that, you know, it, like I said, just such little attention paid over here and it's definitely getting bigger, but yeah. And, you know, there's other markets that deserve attention that haven't been as well. Like, you know, Latin America is just absolutely killing it. But exactly. I always joke, you know, cause to me, Latin America is still geographically West so I say Latin America is the Asia of the West because <laughs> it is, it's a similar yeah. vibe, you know, and there's such rich, diverse culture and amazing ingredients and that passion for bartending again. So yeah, it's, uh, it's my Asia of the West. <laughs> yeah, It is blowing up in South America right now. And again, my jealousy yeah. of all of the fresh fruit and of course the rum. And so it's a little bit. Yeah. Easier to get. Well, not always, not always easier to get, but yeah, I mean, it's, um, it's pretty wild that you've spent so much of your career in mainland Asia as a Londoner. Um, so I guess the biggest question I have for you, despite all the important questions I have, this one, <laughs> just I'm curious. So how did you end up after five or 10 years in Hong Kong to not only just go to Japan, but to open a bar in the literal largest city in the world um, in a very busy area of that city? Um so yeah. uh, well, I guess first we ought to like introduce the bar. So it's going to be called uh, Tokyo Confidential, and where is it going to be located in Tokyo? So Tokyo Confidential is in Azabajuban, which is uh, as I keep telling everyone, um, I never was a massive fan, but I think most people sort of know at least if they don't know the name, they know Sailor Moon from how she looks. You mm-hmm. know the the blonde schoolgirl um, with the big pigtails, um, and it's where Sailor Moon is from. So um, for all the uh, nerds out there. There you go. A little nerd fact for you. Um, so as a blonde, we all we all know what I'm dressing up as for Halloween. Right. Um, but yeah, it's Azerbaijan is a beautiful neighborhood. Um, we just kind of were looking for a site. We weren't specifically looking for a site within this area, but it, it was a, it's a brand new building and it came up. 
oh, with wow. a rooftop space. Um, and Azerbaijan is uh, basically known for embassies. So it's quite an expat area. Um, and, you know, we always, of course, we didn't want to open a Japanese bar. It was always going to be something a little bit different. I didn't want to like, you know, I'm not going to be a white person opening a Japanese bar. Like, why, why would I do that? You know, so, and Shingo Gokan has been a really good mentor to me. And I think, you know, those familiar with his bars in Japan, he caters to, well, not caters to, but attracts a more expat, sorry, not expat, like tourist foreigner audience, you know. So when I told him I was open this, I was like, what should I do, Shingo? Like, what's your biggest piece of advice? And he just said, do something different. He was like, aim at tourism. He was like, you're not, obviously Hong Kong gets a lot of tourism, but he's like, you're not used to it here. He's like, tourism is wild in, in Tokyo. So you want to aim, he's like, aim at the foreigners. Interesting. <laughs> but we also... But, you know, we want to be inclusive of locals too. But, yeah, like, you know, Shingo said his ratio was kind of like 80 to 20, like, you know, uh, foreigners versus locals. So, yeah, we've got a good mix of both um, in the neighbourhood, and that's that's great, you know. And also, because of that, it's like a bit more of a neighbourhood vibe as well. You know, it's not it's not Ginza, it's not Shibuya, it's not Shinjuku. It's it's still a busy area, and it's, it's really nice, and, like, it's a Friday and Saturday night, but it's not. Yeah, definitely more of a neighborhood vibe, which is more my my shtick as well. Yeah, so uh, you know when I think of Tokyo bar scene, well, I, uh, backing up to something you said, you said you hadn't chosen a particular area and just kind of looking around at what space works. That's insane. That that size of a city to be like, I don't know, we'll just we'll know it when we see it. Like that. That's completely- yeah. Well, I'll be I'll be honest with you. So my partners had already found the space, and I just trusted them. You know, they said Perfect. like they explained Great. the neighborhood to me. I'd actually I've been to Tokyo, you know, ten plus times, but I'd never. I don't think. I mean, you do get tourists in the area, but it's not something that's on everyone's like hot list when you first come here. But hopefully, it will be. Now we're here. No, um, but I was leaving. You know, with we've, that. We've, because you know you were talking about this neighborhood vibe and everything that you're putting together when i think of a tokyo bar i kind of think of like that classic old school master mentor relationship the you know insanely classic but done to precision kind of bar work and i mean that's that's kind of what stands out to me so um and and maybe i'm wrong i haven't spent that much time in tokyo no 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 no, that's there's a lot of that here (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. So, I mean, you're going to um, step away from that kind of like hardcore uh, interpretation of it and try to attract kind of that mix of locals and tourism, which is very cool. I mean, actually, I, that's shocking to me that you can do that. Um, but I it, hope so. I don't know yet, but let's no, see. Right. But of course, no. you know, we always want to appeal to the locals. They're the ones that are going to prop up the bar for us, you know. Right. Well, I guess I was referring to the, the tourists and it is insane there how much tourism goes through that country especially now that the borders have opened back up it seems like yeah i know has been in japan in the last six months uh we were just oh god we have so many people coming here after 50 best because obviously world's 50 is in singapore and i just like my calendar is just like this person in town this person and you know hong kong's amazing but it's not like necessarily a bucket list visiting place you know everyone if you're from the west everyone wants to go to thailand or tokyo but like Hong Kong isn't necessarily like number one. And like Tokyo, like I said, I've been in Asia 15 years and now all my friends are like, we're coming to see you. And I was like, where the fuck have you guys been the last 15 years? <laughs> wow, that's wild. Yeah. I mean, we were in a place in Kobe, uh, Tiki Bar, of course. And he told me that like- Oh, Kaizen Room. Yes, yes, yes. So we were- Yeah, yeah, yeah I know them. Out. And um, yeah, when he was like, yeah, like 90% of my clientele is um, 
either a tourist or expat or, you know, of course, Tiki people are pretty obsessive. So we show up regardless of yeah. where it is. But, you know, I was like, wow, that's wild that you can own a bar in a country and like have such a small sliver of the people coming there actually. Yeah, live. but look, coming back to like, you know, I guess like the the concept of TC as well. Um, we just refer to it as TC now, as you can see. Um, but so yeah, the concept. One thing uh, about TC is like we we are an inclusive space for everyone. You know, confidential kind of alludes to that. Like, what stays in confidential happen like stays in conf- sorry. What happens in confidential stays in confidential. You know, so that's it's kind of oxymoronic. Like, we want people to come here and be their true selves. So I kept using the phrase confidential self, which didn't make sense. But it's like, like you know, let's say you act a certain way at work, you feel like you have to be you know uptight or very strict at work you come here and you be who you really are you know you take off your tie and fucking dance on the bar and go wild (laughs) if you want to um you know so again like I want it to be an inclusive space like you know maybe I probably don't think will apply appeal to many like you know they call them salary men in Tokyo but if a group of salary men wants to come in and get loose I, I encourage that you know I would love that like let them you know get away from the stiffness of society uh the societal norms that they you know probably had to adhere to um, and yeah, be a super inclusive space for everyone. So, you know, we we want to be, um, you know, obviously welcome like people that are not able-bodied. We have an ele- elevator, which is great, and things like that. And we'll always make space for people. Um, no children, unfortunately, can't uh, can't allow the kiddies in. Uh-huh. But you know, we we hope to be a little bit more dog friendly within reason. Like oh, wow. when we we have a roof roof space, so we're going to launch that a bit more. We are we are using it now, but like. In the spring, you know, I think it'd be it, being a neighborhood area. It'd be nice to let people bring their dogs in and things like that. But I, I just, you know, as long as they don't shit on the floor and yell. <laughs> sure, no, the <laughs> dogs are much better than children, and they're and they eat yeah. as well. Uh, so, but you, cats are much better than dogs. <laughs> so, how did you end up as a bar owner in Tokyo? Um, how did you make that jump? Yeah, so. Um, rewind to like my early days in Hong Kong and I used to drink at this bar and uh, doesn't exist anymore and it was owned by uh, quite a rich guy who I just knew because he owned like when I first moved to Hong Kong I was still young and dumb so you know went to some fancy clubs mm-hmm. uh, made friends with the owner and he opened kind of like as a lot of you know F&B owners do he opened a small bar that was kind of just for him and his homies so it was quite a male dominated bar through as clientele and the um, hostess was uh, this amazing Japanese girl called Ruri. And I would often drink there with my other girlfriend and Ruri would just like hanging out with us because, you know, there was just too many dudes there for her. So she was like, oh, I get to hang with the girlies, you know. And we always had so much fun. She's, she was just like absolutely bonkers. And in any way, she left, she left Hong Kong and we sort of continued to just, as you do, be friends of, friends of each other on social media. And then I get this message one day on LinkedIn from one of my now business partners saying, oh, you're recommended by Ruri Nakamura. Um, she's like a you know mutual friend of ours. And I was like, wow, like Ruri was not a person I had thought about for like seven years, like love her to bits, but like, you know, just mm-hmm. someone who was part of my life a while ago. Um, and yeah, and then so my business partners brought us to Tokyo to meet them. Um, and I just thought it was this elaborate scam. I don't know why I'm very distrusting of people. Oh, it sounds like. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, you see, like, we've all, you know, I don't need to name names, but we've all seen our friends and bar owners be fucked over by, you know, partners and stuff. And 
And, you know, we, but we had a great time with them. My gut feeling was always good from the jump. Like from the second I started speaking to them, I like, I like to trust my gut instinct It's never failed me so far. Um, and I hope I won't be eating humble pie, but yeah, no, they, they were really awesome. We had a great time together. We all vibed really hard. And that was pretty much a year ago in October. Um, and originally, yeah, like we, we were, I think we were planning to open in July, which now saying that out loud sounds fucking wild, yeah. but yeah, here we are. Um, that's not through delays. I think we, but then the actual, because it was a new building, the building was delayed, but yeah, so here I am and they got me out here and, you know, people say why Tokyo? And I was like, I just couldn't say no. Like it's something that somewhere that my husband and I have dreamed of living. The ability to get a visa here is not easy. And I had someone willing mm. to sponsor a visa and you know giving me such free reign on what i want to do here as well so yeah they're, they're awesome people and i'm really happy that i met rory nakamura seven years ago eight ten years ago whenever i met her <laughs> yeah that's completely amazing i wasn't expecting that kind of story where it just pops up on your radio <laughs> news later what uh what great luck the um you know opening going from literally from hong kong to japan and you've only been there a few weeks um how what kind of challenges have you faced just jumping to another culture and trying to actually like do business there? Cause that's a di big difference between visiting in a place or working at a place and yeah. applying permits, you know, getting things done, dealing with the red tape, the government, um, yep. very male dominated society. <laughs> yeah. Like honestly, it was, so we were meant to be here a week prior to what we, when we did arrive, but Hong Kong had like basically, we put our, our visas were approved, but you get like a letter and then you just basically it's just putting all the stuff in your passport, but it takes up to a week. But then it, there was also it's like working days and then there was a weekend over it and then two days of just shutdown in Hong Kong. So we had a huge typhoon. Um, and then the following week had the worst rain that Hong Kong has ever seen since records began and just absolutely wild flooding, like incredibly wild. So that shut down the uh, consulate. So, yeah, we ended up being delayed by about a week. Um, which was just, uh, it was like fucking living in limbo. Like, luckily we still had our apartment till the end of the month in Hong Kong. So our friends taking over it. But Tom and I told my husband, we were just like, we just kept, kind of turned into bums because we were so demotivated. And then obviously we were having leaving parties of friends. So we were off, more often than not, we were waking up hungover and just being pieces of shit. You know, we were like, oh God, we need to get out of here. So, but not having that week really kind of screwed us a little bit. It meant, we didn't have that time to find, you know, so basically when you get here, you have to register at your local district office, um, you know, setting up bank accounts, which I still don't have. And, you know, for the ladies out there, they'll relate to me, like finding a fucking new nail salon and things like that. I love to have my nails done all the time. It's like the one thing that I do upkeep, you know, and just stupid stuff like that. Dentist, gym, um, and things that I wanted to get into the swing of quickly, especially gym, you know, in opening, I didn't want to let that slide um, because I have, Tell you what, I think leaving a country and beginning to open a bar, you gain all the weight, but I've been reassured that I will lose it during opening. So fingers crossed. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Actually, when, when I was in Japan, I ended up losing 20 pounds just from walking and the heat. Of course, now it's, you know, into a little bit cooler uh, climates. But yeah, as soon as, oh my I, God. as soon as I got back to you this men, you men lose weight so easy. I need to drop a good 20 pounds. And you're but like, I oh, literally... I just did it from going on holiday and walking. Yeah, but I've been back. Well, we were there for a month. and um, yeah. But I've also been back two weeks and have gained half of it back. So <laughs> it, it goes both ways, you know, um, especially living in the States, <laughs> you know, not the healthy yeah. food here. And but so like most... 
most of the challenges have honestly been like just personal life stuff. So we we got a, a service department, so that's just temporary. And but like you know, we're still trying to view flats because it doesn't feel like a home. And I want to get the fuck out of this apartment because like we can't. The little time we do have at home, we can't really relax. Like. Mm. Yeah. You know, it's it's got a small living room and kitchen, but it's just, it's not the vibe. It's not home, you know. Um, you know, our cats, they're still in Hong Kong living with our girlfriends. Um, they can't come out here to February because of all that. So it's just all that fucking paperwork. Yeah. And honestly, one of the things, and I don't, I don't feel bad as a criticism. I think it's just more of a switch of, it's not even like cultures, but so, you know, being a Londoner, and then moving to Thailand, I was used to like things are a little bit slower. It's Thai time. Like I'm sure you're used to it with your wife, you know. Um, and then Korea was kind of normal, kind of similar to London. But Hong Kong is very like now, now, now. Bang, bang, bang. Everything is just like, like what's a day off? You know, what what's working hours? Nothing applied. Like it's work hard, play hard in Hong Kong. It's very intense. Everything you can get immediately. If it's not ready in time, you pay more, you know. So just like. Learning those kind of things in Japan, like things are a little bit slower here because it has to go through more processes and people are perfectionists at what they do here. So, mm. you know, not that people were slapdash in Hong Kong, but yeah, so just things that like things that I could get done for three days in Hong Kong are taking like 14 days here, you know, or like, for example, we were getting some art framed and I'm with my head bartender. I'm like, can you ask them if we pay more? Does it, does it come quicker? She was like, that's not a thing in Japan, but I'll just, she tells me to play the Gaijin cards, like, you know, the foreigner card. And I'm like, I don't want to, it's disrespectful. And she was like, oh no, I'm going to be using you as an excuse for things, you know, like, oh, look at my dumb foreign friend. She doesn't know things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I've actually, I've been told by several people that live there that that's we as Gaijin, you can get away with a lot more things uh, culturally than, than you could if you were native. Yeah. <laughs> people don't expect you to live here either. Like, so we've been like, when we've gone out for lunch or whatever, or dinner after work, we've tried to go to the local joints and tell that, you know, introduce ourselves and also so we can explore our neighborhood so we can recommend things to guests. Mm -hmm. um, but it's so funny. Like even when people do speak English, they're like, Oh, where are you from? And obviously I'm from England. My husband's from New Zealand. Obviously it's the rugby world cup. So people are like, Oh, all blacks, you know? Um, and I'm like, Oh, sorry. England beat Japan the other day. <laughs> um, but then you'll tell them we're like, I don't know if they misunderstood or they just don't register it, but I'm like, oh, we just moved here two weeks ago. You know, we're looking forward to meeting you. We're opening a bar in the neighborhood and then we'll leave the restaurant. They're like, enjoy your holiday in Japan. And we're like, okay. <laughs> so even oh. when you tell them that we live here, they don't believe you. <laughs> sure. Yeah. I mean, it is wild. There were like, what, less than 2% of the population's like expat. So, right. I mean, when 98. Yeah. People, I guess it would be a little bit of a shock. But yeah, it's it's very homogenous, you know, and I'm used to that from living in Korea as well. I think Korea, I don't know about now, but 10 years ago when I was living there was, I think, number one on like the most homogenous country in the world, you know. Mm -hmm, really? That's wild. Yeah. I've yet to go. So the how far out are we looking for TC, aka Tokyo Confidential? Uh, I mean, I know that that's a... That's a moving target as somebody that's done this. A bunch no, of it's a set date. Like we've actually got a date. We're opening. You do have a date. Uh, a, yeah. 11th of October. So oh, wow. Um, we're doing a sneak, sneak peek sort of friends and family next week. Um, there's still a lot that needs to be done, but sometimes I think, you know, having a sneak peek or like that first, I don't really like the word soft opening. It feels a bit formal and shit, but you know, that, mm. that, that first month's rollout, it's okay to not be completely ready, but as long as you can still deliver, Good drinks, good hospitality. You know, there's there's some secret surprises in our bar, which I 
which we have all agreed not to publicize. So you have to come find out for yourself. But some of our surprises aren't ready yet, but mm. it won't take away from the TC experience. So we're happy to open without them. It will just add to the experience later. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And you got to figure yeah. out it's not going to work once you're full, full steam ahead. So, and that's, that's yeah, and I got, I got, a, I got to make money and pay my bills. You know, I can't just keep waiting until we're completely ready. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure that I know of any bar or restaurant owner that opened when they were ready. It was all for that. You're like, okay, we're out of money. We need to open now. <laughs> Baptism of fire, baby. Uh, there's no other way. Uh, you got to see what doesn't work and just start. Exactly. Rolling. So that's that's coming up really soon. I can't believe you actually like took the interview with me today, and I appreciate that because. Uh, <laughs> As someone who's opened several places, it's just, I know what kind of flurry. I like to get shit done. Like I just, and you know, it's like, it's kind of like if I didn't do it now, then it just would have dragged on, you know? And as a lot of people know, I was diagnosed with ADHD a few times. And like, I've just been, we've been doing a lot more team training this week, but sort of, you know, my husband will do the more like hard skills and like, these are the specs or, you know, talking sure. about more hard skills of hospitality, but I tend to talk more about the soft skills of like, and the emotion behind it and things like that. So, you know, I've been teaching them how my my ADHD can be annoying, but it also can be a fucking superpower. They're all like, how do you do so much shit at once? And I'm like, because if I don't, I'll die. You yeah. know, and gotta, I'm, gotta I'm, keep I'm, moving. Definitely an asset when you're building out. So let's talk about your team a little bit. Um, did you assume, assume, ugh, see, it is 7.30 <laughs> in the morning here. Uh, yeah, did you uh, kind of assemble a team of all local bartenders? Did you bring some people with you from Hong Kong? How did, how did you uh, put together your team there? Oh man, I assembled the Avengers. Like I, my team is just, you know, to use a very English phrase, they are shit hot. I taught them what shit hot meant today. Just, you <laughs> yeah. know, absolute fucking fire. Um, and so the first person to join the Avengers was uh, Waka Marata. So she had been uh, someone that like, I follow a lot of female bartenders in Asia that e even if I haven't met, you know, we all follow people we haven't met, but just, like young and up and coming girls that like, you know, something that I've done a lot in my work as well is try and champion women. Um, it's not that even though there's some patriarchal countries in Asia, like peer male bartenders are really supportive of female bartenders, but it's the guests that need changing, you know? So I would say peer to peer, like all, you know, all the dudes in the industry love the girls in the industry. There's not a lot of bad blood, you know, people are tight, but yeah, there's a lot of problems from guests. So I've really tried to try and champion and put a spotlight on these people. So Waka was one of these people that had my BDI on. And <laughs> I knew that, you know, talking to my partners, they were like, the hardest part is for you to find a head bartender that's, you know, A, bilingual, um, oh. and B, just will understand your vision. And, yeah, then one day I was uh, just, you know, I was going to say trolling through Instagram, scrolling through Instagram. I do not troll. I um, don't have time for that. Uh, <laughs> and a picture of Waka like, you know, the algorithms just sent me a sign and it was Waka in her old job. So she worked at the Edition Hotel in Tokyo and she was doing a champagne tower and pouring it. And for those that know me, they know I love some shilly, silly showmanship behind the bar, like stackeries yeah. and laybacks and things like that and champagne. I've never done a champagne tower, but I love Sabreage and things like that. So mm -hmm. to see her doing that, I was like, it was just such a fucking, like, that's it, her. Like, gotta have her, you know. Um, and I messaged her and straight away, she was like, yeah, I'm looking for a new opportunity. Um, and you know, everyone has a stigma about poaching, but at the time I didn't know anyone at the edition. I didn't owe anyone anything. I now subsequently know Wacker's old boss, but he's been so supportive. 
-hmm. I think he sees it, you know, it's good progress for her. Um, Yeah. And I hit her up and I met her the next time I was in Tokyo. We had a great night that kind of was like an informal interview, which led to her boyfriend joining. He's also in the industry, uh, which led to Little Red Door was in town. So they're good friends of both of ours. And we all ended up going out till 4am together. And that was it, you know, like deal sealed. And then she, towards the end, like just before she was about to sign, she was like, I'm, I'm really keen, but I just want to get to know Holly more. So she came out to Hong Kong and same thing kind of happened. We just bonded over our love of champagne. And I remember that exact moment when I was like, we should do more of a champagne focus at the bar. Like it's not a champagne bar, but we definitely have more champers than the average cocktail bar. So yeah, Sweet. we are absolute lushes together. <laughs> That's fantastic. That's really wild. Uh, I, I love that you said that the uh, the algorithm sent you a sign. I'm going to start using that. <laughs> our, <laughs> our God, you know. So you're just a few weeks out. You've got a menu put together, I hope. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we do. You had a good tasting session, so I'm feeling good about it. Um, any particular focus on the menu, what you're trying to bring? Because, you know, you mentioned trying to bring something new to the table. So I assume uh, you're pushing some edges out a little bit. Yeah. So look, like our, I've, try, I've tried to, you know, not tread on too many toes. And I want mm-hmm. Wacker to, you know, I've always said, like, I bartend and I, I, I think I have a good palate. But when it comes to, like, technical wise, I'm not I'm not a good bartender. Like, I'm, I'm just not. But I'm going to. I like think I'm good at hospitality and things like that. So I've kind of let her have more of a lead. Yeah. I mean, but just chucked a few of my drinks in because in a good way, we like each other's drinks, but we have very different palettes. Like she's got more of a floral complex ca- uh, palette, whereas mine is kind of like me, salty and in your face. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, I have a very like more umami salty palette. Um, you know, so I've enjoyed working with like miso and soy and things like that in previous cocktails, which I've brought onto this so yeah there's no concepts because there's so much so many stories to tell in tc like there's no theme overall like you know i'll tell you our sort of main concept but there's so many other stories to tell that we just wanted good drinks with a menu that didn't really have to make you think it's just a fucking menu of good drinks you yeah. know um a, a lot of them we just like today i was uh we made the drinks we made the recipes and then we just gave them random names like some of them the names mean something so like for example, I have a Chung Fun Old Fashions, which is based off of a Hong Kong uh, like Chinese dish called Chung Fun. It's like rice rolls with soy and sesame. So like I base the flavor profile off of that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, some of them are just like, I don't know, like today we got one with coffee. So I was like thinking about coffee, staying awake. And then I was thinking of uh, the faithless song, like I can't get no sleep. So the song it's called I Can't Get No Sleep. Um, and yeah, so it's just a menu of dope shit. We've tried to utilize um, less championed Japanese ingredients. So we've got dobaroku, which is essentially like heavily unfiltered sake. So it's still got like, we strain them out in the cocktail, but if you drink it raw, like quote unquote raw, um, it's got like little lumps in it. For those who are familiar with makoli, like it's quite similar to that. Um, and awamori, there's something else that Waka and I bonded over. So awamori is essentially like Okinawan sake is the best way to describe it um so it's very specific to okinawa um it uses thai rice um instead of you know uh japanese rice so yeah we're trying to we of course we got shochu and sake um you know we got shingo sakes because they're amazing for sorry shingo shochus because they're amazing for cocktails but yeah we want to we want our cocktails to have more conversation points as well so people are like oh what's awamori we can teach them what awamori is or teach them what dobaroku is you know so just allowing that little bit of education with the drink as well 
Yeah, it sounds like your menu really plays into your strength is like you said, a place to kind of hang out regardless of who you are and what's going on. And yeah, I mean, that's the kind of menu that draws me in, you know, something that's a little too high. Yeah. And you got to prepare your mind for that, you know, and it's, it's yeah, and it's less... something we sorry, go on. No, no, you're good. I was just it's just, sometimes can be a little stuffy. Yeah, exactly. And like we one of the sort of catchphrases I guess we use at, t- at TC is like we're a house of high contrast. So like well, and another thing that I said, like I say to people and they love it, like I wanted this place to be so incoherent that it's coherent. Like sometimes you have to make something so incoherent for it to make sense. If you just have a few random things, it won't make sense. But if it's just completely fucking contrasting, people are like, oh, I get it now, you know. So mm-hmm. same thing with the menu, right? We got some like a bit more just like tasty, simple drinks. Um, but then I said like really tasty, complex, elegant drinks from Waka, you know. Um, and we got a big focus on low and no ABV, um, something that's really important to me. And the only one thing that my business partner requested is that we have a bit more of a stronger focus on that. And I fully agreed um, as someone whose mom was diagnosed with stage four cancer two and a half years ago. And she she loves a cocktail and she couldn't drink. She's got back on it. Actually, she's she's dieting at the moment, so she's not drinking. But <laughs> she just literally could not drink at the beginning of her diagnosis um, because it just tasted foul to her. So um, my dear friend, Anna Sebastian, um, who, you know, is very well known in the London scene. Mm-hmm. She sent my mum lots of like no gronies and seed lip and things like that. Mm. So I, I started to realize, you know, there is a market for people. It's low and no is not always for sobriety. Some people cannot drink, but they still want to go to the bar, you know, or maybe they're pregnant and they still want a cocktail or like I said, have health issues or, you know, that again, that comes back to our inclusive mission of like, we want people to get lit and have a good time, but we also want the non-drinkers to have a good time and be able to participate in the fun. So, you know, I've made sure we've even really focused because we're focusing on champagne. We've got what I believe to be one of the best non-alcoholic sparkling wines and red and white wines. You know, we try to, it's not a second thought. It's as important as the main menu, you know. I'm super bummed that uh, I wasn't, can't be there for the opening. It sounds like an amazing. We well, just got to come back then. Yeah, well. <laughs> As a restaurant operator, it might be a little while before I get Yeah. Out. That's why we took Fair a enough. full month last time because it was like, okay, <laughs> it's been three years. Yeah. I don't know when the next time's coming. but Yeah, I deserve this. <laughs> well, absolutely will I be going back to Japan. Uh, just a super place. One of my favorite places that yeah, I've Yeah, it's been. magical. Yeah, it just it kind of edged out several of my favorite places. You know, just uh only thing I was... Oh, it takes... It takes like it takes the biscuit. Like it just yeah. as soon as you get here, you're like, okay, fuck every other country that I used to love, you know. Right. I mean, the, everybody's like, how did you love Japan? I'm like, yeah, it's probably my favorite place I've been. I think it overtook Italy. I'm like, the only thing I didn't like about Japan was there's no real easy access to weed. <laughs> so other than that, uh, it's totally fine. <laughs> although I don't know if I should make this public knowledge. It is legal. So we found, I can't remember it. It's called like HHC or something. So it's not no, CBD did, or THC. Yeah. So that was, yeah. So HHC for. is legal here and it's, it's still slightly psychoactive. So I, I like to quote class. Um, my, my classes for weed is rude and polite. So rude is like the fuck you up shit. And when it's polite, it makes you feel nice. And, mm. you know, we, we went into the dispensary and the guy was like, we bought, you know, like a, a vape. And then he was like, oh, we got HHC edibles as well. And he was like, oh, be careful with them. And I was like, no, I'm good. You know, like I, I know about this stuff. Um, and they were rude. They were extra rude. So there no, you go. I, 
I'm glad that you told me what those what the acronym was because I've been trying to remember that since we got back. I was trying to. I think it was. It might. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, it's not. It's not like Delta Eight or CBD. It's like some sort of like manipulation of the molecule. And we ran across a place in Osaka like the first day we arrived, and it was perfect because my wife's a heavy smoker, and so <laughs> it was like we got to stop here. We got to stop here. We got to stop here. I'm like, okay, fine. And we walked in, and you know. It's always that first awkward time going into a new dispensary and you're like, yeah, maybe this, this will help you sleep. I don't know. And she's like, yeah, but is it going to get me high? And the guy steps over and he's like, uh, oh, you want to get high? And like, here you go. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, and absolutely. I mean, definitely a little bit heavier consumption, but it did the job. Um, and so yeah. a little bit, like you said, a little bit of a different uh, a high. So it's not, not yeah. our typical California bud, but uh, yeah, it was. That was the only issue I took with it, you know, um, but I, I had such a great time there and I definitely would have loved to have been to your bar um, before I let you go. And I know you have a thousand things to do and I'm not going to keep you all night, um, but I do want to talk about your book a little bit. We kind of brushed past it, um, but yes. I feel like this is a really important, um, dare I say, first step, because there's not a lot of books out there that kind of cover um, the breadth that you do in your book. So if you could talk a little bit about your book, uh, Cocktails of Asia, and how people can get it. Yeah, sure. So Cocktails of Asia um, is my love letter, as I mentioned earlier, to Asia's bar scene. Um, and, you know, again, going back to what I was saying about my mum. So it kind of, it, it's kind of like sad and, well, not sad and emotional, but it's like, so when she was diagnosed, um, she's stage four, but she's just absolutely, she's a feat of nature. She was really lucky that, Stage four, for those who don't know, because I've learned a lot about cancer since she was diagnosed, but it means it's metastasized and moved to other parts of your body. But she was fortunate that it didn't go to her organs. So she basically is in her bones. It, she had a breast cancer and it had spread to her bones. So treatment can keep it at bay. So she never had intravenous chemo because that she's too far gone for that. So she basically, she microdoses chemo. That's what we call it. So it's an oral uh, way. So it's a much more sustainable way to live with chemo I guess um she has three weeks on one week off and it is a little bit rough when she's off but so for that she's doing well but when she was diagnosed it was fucking touch and go you know we didn't know I was like my mom could be dead in 18 months you know and it was this was in the middle of the pandemic at a time when Hong Kong had fully shut its borders it banned anyone entering from the UK unless you'd spent three weeks in a you know a group what we called a green country so like a low COVID country. Yeah, I, I uh, heard I your interview with Eric Castro about your terrible three-week, uh, yeah. Oh, my God. So <laughs> I actually spoke to him today. We did a podcast with him today. And the last time I spoke to him was when I was in quarantine. It was nuts. Like, so, and that was pretty much two years ago to the day. But, yeah, so went home. Just before I left, uh, I met with my friend who's a publisher. And I was like, how do I pitch to publishers? And then she was like, I really actually like the sound of your book. Would you be opposed to publishing with me? And I was like, no. Anyway, went back to the UK and did my, what we call a washout for three weeks. So I was kind of on traveling for like two months, um, which is great because it was mid-COVID and everyone was like, oh, yeah, I'm so jealous you get to travel. And I was like, fuck off. Like, it really wasn't great. It was stressful and my mom was sick. But anyway, locked in three weeks hotel quarantine. What better time to start a book? So I signed my deal with my publisher when we were in, when I was in quarantine. And, you know, with my mom being sick, I wanted, it was kind of my homage to her as well because I wouldn't be here without my mom she taught me hard graft you know my family grew up with absolutely nothing but my mom always worked really really hard 
um you know like there were days my family didn't really like eat much you know but my mom always showed me if you worked hard and now because of her hard work she can live a nice lifestyle because she saved a good pension you know and now she's sick she's like living her best life so she taught me everything and I just wanted I know she's proud of me all the time but I wanted to give her something tangible to be proud of me and you know again being a writer it's like the next step isn't it it's like publishing a book so yeah that was that was my motivation behind it fueled by you know Ritalin and my recent ADHD diagnosis diagnosis when I realized I can hyper focus got it done in six months um the reception was amazing again like you kind of touched on there isn't really anything like that that's a recipe book of cocktails in Asia so we kind of focused on a lot of the core signatures from some of the best bars across the region I also talk about the classic Asian cocktails so like bamboo jungle bird Singapore sling and pegu club so we talk about the history because we've only really got those are sort of if we're talking you know I guess standard classics they're the only four from Asia um and then I get in like nerdy about some stuff that I like like baiju and makoli and stuff like that um you know because some of them are incorporated in recipes and a lot of people don't know what makoli is um so yeah it just highlights the people and the places there's a little bit some anecdotes from me because I've usually been up to some nonsense in some of these bars so you know it's anecdotal why they're important to me or important to the Asian bar scene um and yeah like because I'm obviously a complete lunatic I'm thinking about maybe next year or the year after it's time for volume two I think so. I mean, I highly encourage you to do it because there's so much cool stuff going on and it seems to just a match has been lit and it's going crazy, <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah. some of the best products, you know, and I think one of the issues, you know, here in the West that we, the reason that we don't kind of get it is that some of the products don't get. <laughs> and so it's, you know, a hundred percent. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, if you want to get, whatever some buys you here you know you have like two choices if you want shochu here you have like three choices and so yeah it's but it's funny like you know not a lot of asian bars necessarily use asian based spirits sure. you know there sure. are bars that specialize in baiju or shochu but it's more the produce i would say and also like one thing that i say to people there's a lot of you know obnoxious bartending in the west where people like oh they look down down on rotavaps or they're like oh fuck off with rotavaps but people you know, again, like people like Agung um, and like Antonio Lai have like harnessed that and made made this equipment their bitch. Like they are so good with Rotovaps, you know, and it's like, again, people need to come and see why, you know, again, not everyone can afford one. And, you know, there's a lot of, I think these days, a lot of people like, oh, my bar doesn't need fancy equipment. And I'm like, don't, I don't think you should look down on it. If you can make great drinks with a Rotovap, then fuck yeah, keep going, you know? Um, so yeah, a lot of, I do think a lot of Asian bartenders have really harnessed this like kind of new culinary wave as well, because food is such a huge part of the culture in most Asian countries, you know, and the flavors are so distinct. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I would very much look forward to volume two of the book. Uh, you know, I love what you're doing. I've been following, you know, drink magazine for quite a while and trying to stay plugged in through a lot of the work that you've done. And, and I, I really regret not having been there for the opening uh, of your no, bar, but uh, almost made it like almost just like with three week window, four week window. Um, but definitely you'll come back and check it out. Um, where can people find your book online um, outside of Asia or wherever? Oh God, it was, it was on Amazon, but I need to check because we're having problems because uh, the Amazon has an anti-China law. 
Um, and because, you know, Hong Kong is part of China and that's where the book was published. So we had to re-register as a business. So hopefully Amazon, but if not, uh, you can find us on manmomedia.com. So that's M-A-N-M-O media.com. That's my publisher. Um, I think that shipping is much better these days. Uh, we were doing it through Amazon. Um, and if anyone has any problems and they can't find it, just message me on Instagram. It's usually best, like at Holly Graham Drinks. Um, and I can help you find it because things are a bit chopping and changing at the moment, which is really not good, you know, when you're on a podcast trying to promote your book. Sure. <laughs> no, it happens. And that's part of the, uh, I guess, challenge of operating in several different countries at once. Uh, yeah. Where can uh, people find the bar? That's probably... Um, by the time we this, are, I think it'll be right around your opening. So everybody just flood in all of my Japanese listeners just flood in. Yeah. One, please. One uh, so I guess our Instagram is probably the most uh, informative space to follow. We have a website, tokyoconfidential.com, but the uh, Instagram at Tokyo confidential bar is where all the, the nonsense happens. Um, and yeah, we'll be making announcements about obviously we're opening October the 11th. Um, and yeah, anything that's happening and goings on is probably most up to date on the, on the Instagram and we need those followers. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And jump on there. There's some sneak peeks that she's been putting up this week, uh, that you can kind of see a little bit of the back bar and definitely you can see the crew and the team. And, uh, it looks like a fun project. I, I, I really wish you all the best and I, I can't wait to come check it out. Thanks so much. Yeah, well, hopefully, you know, if you don't make it back here for a while, I'll see you somewhere doing a guest shift and you get a taste of TC. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we've, um, I think we're going to travel around a little bit from our our bar and our bar team this year. We talked about it yesterday. I think we're going to put Tiki Travel on the back burner and fewer festivals, nice. more pop-ups and travel and yeah, get out and about and maybe have a little bit yeah. of fun. We, we, we talked about doing a pop-up at uh, the Kazan Room, so you can uh, potentially see us in Japan one of these days. Yeah, I need to go visit them. Actually, my head bartender, she's from nearby. And last time she was back home, she visited and I'd been talking to them online. So yeah, I definitely want to meet those guys too. Yeah, super. All right. Well, again, Holly, thanks for coming on the show. I know you're crazy busy. You got tons of work to get done. Um, so I will have you back on the show. You know, uh, we'll check back in and, and see how everything's going after things are stabilized and or as stabilized as they can be. Yeah, well, when you check back in with me, I might have as much hair as you. So let's see. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Mine's all tied back. I think you already do. <laughs> oh, wow. I didn't see that. Okay. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Okay, now you have more hair than me, though. So that was a bad, bad uh, joke. I think we might be about <laughs> in the same boat. <laughs> so. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Holly. Arigato gozaimasu. Arigato gozaimashita.